very excited about us moving to the two services. And there's times like this morning where we, we have empty seats, but I guarantee you, given a Sunday or two, it just fluctuates and we, we get full. We need to make room. I want to challenge you. Uh, there's some things that I have spent some time meeting with other pastors, speaking with them who have done the two services of different church sizes and found out the do's and the don'ts, the best practices for that. And one of which is um, some may be tempted to say, well, I want to be at both services because I want to see everybody. But let me tell you, the whole purpose of going to services is make room in the seats for those who, who <laughs> we want to see come. So if everybody does that, then there's no benefit to two services because we still have the seats all full. Uh, what we hope to see happen is that uh, those of you that are not involved in any type of ministry uh, regularly on Sundays, and if you have smaller kids, that you would want to come to the second service because we have the full kids services then. Those of you, maybe your kids are grown and uh, or you don't have children, that uh, the first service might be better for you. We're not going to try to prompt you either one. Just as you choose a service, if you come to one and see, hey, maybe you want to try one t- Sunday one time and another Sunday another time and see which one's empty or and you, you end up there. Or obviously sometimes folks gravitate to who, you know, their closest friends, which service. But uh, just be putting some thought and prayer into that about which service you're going to uh, be attending. Um, obviously, this is not just... Uh, uh, for fun, because the ministry team, obviously, it, it is easier on a uh, physical level, on a tiring level to just do one service. But uh, for those of you who don't know, we have some land that is paid for, and that land and purpose of that land is to build a church. Uh, we have been renting facilities for quite some time, and there's been times we've been busting at the seams, and it, it's time to move forward. But the only way to know uh, for sure, it, besides the Lord telling us this is the time, is to to see when we've got enough people that we need to move into a bigger facility. So uh, keep that in prayer. Let's keep pushing forward for that. This morning, I've got more time than I suspected, which is good, because if you remember Sunday before last, last Sunday was Mother's Day. Awesome service. I really enjoyed the panel of ladies we had speaking, um, sharing some insight. Um, I look to do something similar to that with uh, Father's Day. Uh, So watch out, men. I'll be... uh, Selecting some of you, hopefully, to, to be on a panel for that. But the Sunday before that, we we're speaking on the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And if you remember, we did it in the setting of like a court case. This is a trial. We have this gift on trial. And the reason for that is it's been on trial. In fact, the irony, I guess you will say, of a recent article that I just saw in the week it kind of made me chuckle when I saw it because of the fact that w- the timing of when we did this because uh, one of the uh, Baptist denominations has just removed, well, some articles put different terminology on it, but one said they removed the ban of speaking in tongues for the missionaries. And that was a huge move for them because uh, that is something that has always been set in stone that if you operate in the gifts of speaking tongues, you cannot be commissioned as a missionary with that denomination. That was a huge move. But again, it's more evidence to me since the beginning of the 1900s when, the, when, when we had a, a period of no, it seemed like no record of big outpourings of baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking tongues. And all of a sudden, uh, within that s- this century, you know, it, it came to happen. And now, with the scripture saying at, at, at the end that the Lord will pour out His Spirit on all f- flesh, it seems to be increasing and changing. So we have it on trial. What I want to do today, because I didn't finish this, I do want to do half the message today as some, somewhat of an abbreviation recap of that message. Because I, I want to make sure that everybody that was here gets fresh on your mind as we complete it. And those that weren't here, you're not left out. All right? So I may move a little quickly. I'm going to try to speak clearly uh, and not lose you. Uh, but this is something that's important to the church of today. And I want to say on that subject that even though, uh, jokingly, I'm saying we're putting on trial... Some of you truly in your hearts, it has been on trial. And you need to have a verdict. You need to have a verdict because you need to know, do I believe this is for today and for every believer? And if so, then I need to know that, it's, it's, that I'm, I'm seeking that the Lord would fill me. If it's not, then you are still welcome to be here. I will love you, be your friend. This is not a salvation issue. We are not going to have to separate paths. But I tell you, it might get a little uncomfortable one of these days because I believe God's going to dump out, and I mean to dump out, a pouring of the Spirit in our services. And, 
And even if you say, I still don't know that that's for me, you're going to see it. And you're going to be around it. And you're going to know believers who you love and trust their walk with the Lord. And you're going to be confronted with the fact that I see the fruit of that in their life. And I have never in my life seen where someone has stayed around and not separated themselves from those who are being spirit-filled without it eventually grabbing hold of them and then saying, I'm ready, Lord, and for them receiving. I have known some who have prayed and prayed for it, but only when they finally came to a point of desperation, Lord, I don't care if it's speaking tongues, what it is, I just need more of you, and then been filled. There's much controversy over this subject. Again, I just said a, a, a huge denomination who had always opposed this has recently opened the doors to this. They've seen that it, they have to uh, have seen that uh, people were being impacted within their own organization for that change to happen. I'm sure missionaries were getting filled with the Holy Spirit and it came down to, we love this brother, we've seen the fruit of his ministry, now do we say, see you later? Or do we make some changes because we have to be consistent? And let me say on the onset, I, I have no doubt from my own life and from Scripture, tongues is the initial uh, evidence of the baptism, initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost in the believer's life. If you want to turn with me, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. I'm sorry, actually today, since I'm doing a recap, we're just going to hit verse 4 quickly because we, we remember that. But Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, if you're thumbing through. I'm excited about this. I've got to tell you. I, I'm getting more hungry for preaching, and that was my least favorite thing when I became a pastor. Lord, can I be a pastor and not preach? Can you send someone else to do that? Because I can't stand that. But I'm starting to love it because you know what? We're learning together. This is the awesome thing about the preaching of the word is that you're sitting there hearing, but I'm studying during the week, and now I'm bringing you what God's showing me, and we're able to come together and walk out here with some knowledge. Maybe you already knew this, but I'm praying God will illuminate something more to you that will bring it alive. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The signs here associated with receiving the baptism were a mighty wind. That in this, if we were to go back and read the whole thing, a mighty wind came, tongues of fire sat on their head, and then speaking in tongues. But in, in the first part of our trial, a week before last, we determined that the thing that the unbelievers noticed was not the wind, they were there, but they didn't notice, notice rushing wind. At least it wasn't accounted for. It wasn't made known. Uh, it wasn't the tongues of fire sitting on their head. It's possible they couldn't even see the disciples. It was the upper room. Some were hearing. What it was is they heard the tongues. That was the sign to the unbelievers that the Holy Spirit had come. That was, that was the signs and wonders part is the tongues. But they heard them speaking in tongues. Our second passage we looked at was Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Most Sundays I will. Uh, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter here amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is a part that's most exciting for me and has been. I, I gave the story about my mom having this Catholic family next to us in Nebraska who the lady just began to meet on a daily basis with my mom, truly hungry for, for more of God, more than she was learning in her church. And not because my mom was teaching her about the Holy Spirit, but one day she comes rushing into my mom's house and says, you've got to explain to me what just happened. It was wonderful but strange. And she was hanging laundry and got filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and spoke in tongues. And those are the most exciting to me because this passage is talking about the Gentiles. Can you imagine? Here's the Jewish people, God's people. You know, they walked with Jesus. They saw him appear, go to the upper room. Yes, this awesome things happened. But then again, we've been seeing Jesus do awesome things all along the way. This is icing on the cake if you will. But here are these Gentiles who hear the word for the first time and before they even have a chance to be water baptized as a symbol of their faith. It's like the Holy Spirit says, yeah, um, that's for you to show everybody else the decision you made. I'm going to light you up first. And so they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the J Jews, the, the Israelites are like, you know, we're his chosen people, but, 
but the Gentiles themselves, and so they're they're having to hurry. Look, look. And he's Peter saying, let's let's get them baptized in water. I mean, they're already they're already there. Let's get them going. And again, this sign associated with them receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit was tongues. Our third passage we looked at, and I am moving quickly because we're this is a recap. Acts chapter 19, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12. So 12 of them began to speak in tongues and prophesied. Again, the sign associated here with them receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is tongues. Uh, I won't go into it now. We looked at a couple other uh, examples of the Holy Spirit coming, and it didn't specifically say they received tongues. So some would say, hey, see, every time the Holy Spirit comes, it's not that every time that they speak in tongues. But I don't believe that omission of the account is enough evidence for you to stop there. I believe you need to go on beyond that and say, well, well, what else is going on here? And there was a common thread we looked at where it was always for the glorification of God. There was a speaking of God's word boldly. Or there was a, a, a praising of God through, through the tongue. So uh, there was a consistent um, purpose and outcome each time. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So there's a boldness. We know that uh, almost every time it's referenced that there's a purpose, and that's for boldness. There's increase in their walk. There's increase not from them above the other believer, even though you could equate that, but... But that's not what our focus is. It's, it's not better, worse. It's, I haven't yet received. That's the language we see. They had not yet received. In other words, the desire is everyone received. Just some had not yet. Because if you put it on a better or worse, or that Christian has more than the other, that excludes the other, says these are better than those. Almost indicating that the others that have not received Maybe never will because there's a, a difference in level of, of their Christian walk. And that's not the case. The gift is for everyone. It's just some have received, some receive immediately, some may not for some time. But the signs associated with them receiving the baptism was uh, in, in the account, the place was shaken. They spoke the world, word of God with boldness. Um, did they speak in tongues? Not recorded. But when we go back to the first three instances, the very first three recordings of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. It is all with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I want us to look uh, at the first chapter of Acts also. If you can't keep up turning, it's okay. If you're, you have a pen and write these down so you can check what I'm saying to, to make sure um, as you do study this week, check uh, what your pastor is telling you and make sure it lines up. Uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the first book, uh, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by, by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and, and speaking about the kingdom of God. Then verse 4, look at this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, the problematic part of this, that those who, who will say that the speaking tongues ceased with the death of the, the original twelve, um, or the prophets, whatever stance they take, uh, here it's not... If you took that stance, you say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized. Almost like now baptism with water is gone. Now it's only Holy Spirit. But we don't see that. We see continued accounts where it was all. Um, I brought up the fact when Paul was traveling, he came in and, and found believers who had been saved and baptized in water, received John the Baptist, baptism of water, but had not been filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul prayed for them, they spoke in tongues. Why, why did not, another thing to notice about this, why didn't Jesus just immediately, as he's ascending, say, Holy Spirit, all right, zap them, and they all begin to speak in tongues there. I love the fact that he had them go and wait somewhere. Because 
not because that it was God's limitation that there must be a waiting period to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because God has infinite wisdom, though, that some of us are a little slower to getting to the point where we're surrendered enough where we allow that to happen in our lives. It gives us an example that there was a waiting, and they were willing to do that. And they waited until the Holy Spirit came. Do we know exactly the minutes it took, the hours? Well, some may try to deduct that, but we don't know for absolute sure how long they waited on that. It goes on, um, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. And this is talking to believers, not unbelievers. You'll receive power. You have me living in your heart. You have the Holy Spirit that is with you because you have my presence with you as a believer. But there's something, an additional work I want to do in you. And first, it must be understood that baptism is an outward proclamation. We covered that, but an outward proclamation of inward conversion. Baptism itself will not save you. You can't just go down, take a bath, and come up a Christian. It's, it's actually a symbol of the commitment that's already been made. It's a ceremonial act. Uh, it's usually done in the presence of the church body as a public proclamation of one's faith. There's not any record of someone going out and baptizing themselves. I baptize thyself in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That'd be kind of anticlimactic. There's no cheering. That's part of the good part about baptism. Everybody's celebrating with you free decision origins of baptism we covered that 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 we want to most of us will believe that john the baptist was the one that got this whole baptism thing started and that's not the case that even though the term baptism wasn't used there had always been a ritual if you want to call it ritual cleansing associated with with a a, um, relationship with god the jews had practiced baptism as a traditional act of uh, purification and initiation of converts to Judaism long before the coming of the Messiah. Uh, The origin of of baptism might be found in the book of Leviticus where Levite priests were commanded to perform a symbolic cleansing in water before and after performing performing their priestly duties. It was vital because, as we know, they would tie ropes onto their legs because if they went in there not cleansed, not right with God into the Holy of Holies, bam, you're dead. Somebody's got to drag you out and bury you. I mean, that was hardcore. I got it before you guys. Trying to give us praise. Just think if you had to worry about coming in here, it's like I better have my game on this morning or they'll be dragging me out with a rope and bearing me out behind an alley behind New Song. I mean, that's where it gets real, doesn't it? I mean, right now, the, the uh, old saying, I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make a drink, came to mind after I got up here this morning. But that's a whole other deal when God's in control of the all right, you ain't worshiping me right, that's it. So this whole thing of baptism, it was a serious deal. This ritual cleansing, uh, cleansing of water, symbolic. God doesn't, I don't believe in holy water. I'm sorry. I don't believe that I could go pray. I've had people ask me as a Pentecostal preacher to pray over certain things. Now, I'm going to tell you that I believe the, the scripture has given us reference where, you know, uh, um, a mantle to be prayed over and there was an item like the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence resided. There were things that were symbolic and God uh, used that with his people to, to sometimes pass the mantle. You know, it was very symbolic but also his power is going with that. But I don't pray over water before you're baptized believing that it's the water that is doing anything to you. It's your faith stepping in the water saying, Normally, I take a bath in private. <laughs> this isn't usually a public thing, but I'm doing it because I'm doing it as a symbol that I have, I have identified with Christ by dying as an old person, going into the water, coming up a new creation as Christ was buried and rose again. Okay, so if you have a pen and paper, and I'm going to try to get us uh, some pens and papers in the back of the seats here soon. Uh, I want to see us be able to take some things with us going forward. Um, But there's some questions if you're writing things down that you might want to take down so you can use it for your own study. Again, cross-referencing what I'm teaching you to make sure that it is lined up with God's Word. So where did we we answer the question, where did baptism start? Also, where did the baptism of the Holy Spirit start? What was it associated with? 
Where did it start? What was it associated with? What is the benefit for the believer? What is the benefit for the believer? What is the benefit for the church? Why was the word used for baptism used in conjunction with the Holy Spirit here? Why was the word baptism? We're going to handle that next here. And was the Holy Spirit already living in the believers prior to the upper room account? We've hit a little bit on all this, but um, the Holy Spirit's mentioned quite a few times in the Old Testament. Uh, for instance, Nehemiah 9.20, also 9.30, you gave your good spirit to instruct them, you did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. Job 32.8, but it is the spirit of man, the breath of of the Almighty that gives him understanding. Psalms 143.10 Teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Psalms 51.11 Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Psalms 139.7 Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Alright, so um what about mentioning of Jesus in the Old Testament? Newer, newer believers, because they will tend to spend more time in the New Testament because it's a little easier than some of the Old Testament books with genealogies and, and leadership changes. But where is Jesus mentioned in the Old Testament? Uh, let's look at uh, the book of Daniel. describes one of the most dramatic appearances of the Son of God in the entire Old Testament. But what I want to show you here is that God the Father, God the Son... And God, the Holy Spirit, was as active in the Old Testament as was the New Testament. It's just the change in the New Testament was the Holy Spirit was commissioned, if you will, as part of the Trinity, for a new work in the, in the believer because of the new covenant that was made, because of the New Testament church, because of what was coming, there was a new commission for the Holy Spirit to do a different work in the believer. Uh, what about when uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, was astonished and rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men? This is talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember the story? Everybody's supposed to bow down to the, to the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Any VeggieTales fans here? VeggieTales? The bunny, the bunny. Ooh, I ate the bunny. The big chocolate bunny. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so they're telling the story of King Nebuchadnezzar uh, because of his people uh, telling him he should have everybody bow down and worship him. And three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, said, we will not bow. And so they're standing there. Everybody bows and they're, and they're standing there. They get thrown into fiery furnace, but what happens? And they're even not saying God's going to save us, like even if he doesn't, we're good. But King Nebuchadnezzar, Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of one, the fourth, is like the Son of God. Now this one boggles my mind a little bit, because how did he know what the Son of God looked like? What I believe is when you see Jesus, it's not like on my desk someone blessed me with a little name tag, so anybody walks in confused about coming into the pastor's office, like Pastor C.J. or Reverend C.J. Brumman. If I get confused about who I am, I've got the little name tag there to remind me, right? There's no confusion when Jesus shows up. Now, I will tell you, when he walked on earth, there's people who didn't recognize him for who he was. But I believe when in his glorified state, when it, not, not the physical body, that when Jesus shows up, remember Paul, Saul into Paul? Met Jesus on the Damascus Road? So there's these, um, so Jesus showed up even in the Old Testament. So we can clearly see there's references here. Uh, we can see ones for God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit all at work in man, even under the old covenant, the law. So in the court case, with speaking in tongues on trial here, what does the overwhelming evidence show us on the debate about everyone already having the Spirit in them when they become a believer? Hands down, Holy Spirit lives in you when you accept Jesus as your Savior. We're not talking about the baptism. We're talking about speaking tongues here. We're just saying, when you come to believe in the Lord, the Holy Spirit lives in you. 
No doubt about it. No debate for me from that. But yes, there is evidence of something new in Acts. It's additional work. There's a shift in the way the Holy Spirit has begun to work in the believer. There's a change. There's something that is so monumental that at the point Jesus has changed the covenant. Doom. It's done. Death, hell, and the grave. I have conquered. Monumental. This is a shift here where, where he said, and, and there's even people who were God's chosen people who will not accept that New Testament yet because they're still stuck. That how, can, how can God come in and change what he has done? He, you know, they buy into that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So, you know, we aren't buying into this. They're still waiting for a Messiah. But truth is, Jesus, when he left, he changed the game plan for how the Holy Spirit was to interact with a believer. The purpose? To give a power needed to be effective witnesses. Let me ask you this. Were the disciples witnessing before the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Before this Acts account? When Jesus, were, they, were they witnessing effectively? If you study scripture, and I've drawn this uh, to this conclusion so many times, if you look, they were hiding after Jesus died. When you look at them walking with Jesus before the crucifixion, what, was generally, what were they generally doing? Were they going with Jesus? Yes. Were they even in the garden defending him with the sword? Yes. Were they doing all these things that indicate that they were true followers of Jesus? Yes. But Jesus was still in teaching mode because they were still wondering which one of us is the greatest, falling asleep instead of praying. They were doing all the things that we see in the church today. We're falling asleep. Even when God in the flesh is right there in front of them, asking them to pray, they're falling asleep. Now, some of you should feel better about yourselves because this is just Pastor CJ. They're doing it to Jesus. They're falling asleep on him. But all these things, you see the dynamic. You see their walk. It's not that I'm saying that their walk was less, but there was something missing at that point from the walk where they were hearing the words of Jesus, they were falling, they were seeing the miracles, but yet there was still enough there's still enough lack of some power something in there that when jesus was crucified that horrific event they saw that terrible event that one denied him three times another one sold him out for silver and everybody scattered and hid and were afraid of the authorities but yet after the acts account they're willing to go to prison they're willing to be uh tortured for his his sake so were they affected? Well, that's were they effective as witnesses witnesses after crucifixion before the outpouring? Well, it's a loaded question. Like I said, they um, they had the Holy Spirit. They they were the first Christ followers. But here's the difference: the Holy Spirit was at work within Jesus as part of the Trinity. They had the Holy Spirit walking with them whenever they were with Jesus. The Holy Spirit was there. So when you saw the signs, you saw the wonders, you saw the miracles, you saw all that stuff going on, you've got to keep in mind that Jesus was there with them. And then Jesus later says, it's okay, when I'm gone, you'll do greater things than even I did. Because Jesus knew that the Holy Spirit would come upon him. They'd have power to do so. So Jesus knew they needed the Holy Spirit to remain with them when he left. He knew they still needed the Holy Spirit, but in a different way, the same way the Holy Spirit was working through jesus he wanted to have the holy spirit working through them in the same way so back to acts 4 it doesn't say in acts 4 they spoke with tongues but what followed tongues in the first three instances was god being glorified and people empowered god being glorified people empowered and that's what happened here too uh, if we go to acts chapter 8 verses 14 through 20 acts chapter 8 verses 14 through 20 now i'm going to start to slow down a little bit here as we're easing into our, our fresh study for today. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 20. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen, for he, talking about the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They've been, they believed, been baptized, and now they're sending out some guys. They're sending out the crew. Let's go down there and let's see this Holy Spirit revival. All right? So they are sending them 
Uh, verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the hands on the apostles, he offered them money. We won't chase this rabbit too much, but I just want you to understand that this is where I believe that the speaking in tongues was still, still uh, important to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and evidence. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could attain the gift of God with money. There was something Simon saw. Simon saw power. He saw something being instilled in these believers that he wanted to be able to market. He wanted a selfish gain, financial gain, to be able to market the power of God. He saw believers already believing in Jesus, but yet there wasn't anything spectacular to him about that. Maybe because he hadn't walked with them in their lives and seen the change in their lives, didn't know the testimony, whatever, but... But what really got a hold of this unbeliever here, this sorcerer, what got a hold of this man who was focused on bringing shock and awe to the people and making money off of it was when they received the Holy Spirit. Very interesting. What were the signs associated with him receiving the baptism? The sign wasn't recorded. I get that. Was there a sign? Was it tongues? There must have been something visible that Simon witnessed for him to know that these people had received the power of the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, he wouldn't have wanted that power because he had the same opportunity as the others to accept Jesus and be baptized. And he didn't want that. Just like many of us who maybe haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you have been witnessing and pulling your hair out because you're saying, I'm doing all the right things, Pastor CJ. I'm walking the walk. I'm talking the talk. I'm reading my word. And I just don't seem to have people saying, I got to have that. But let me tell you something. This morning, when I, after I got up here leading y'all in some worship, Ken does a fine job. But there's a difference. See, see uh, nobody can be upset with Ken. He's just a nice guy. I have people upset with me all the time. I figure if anybody's going to step on your toes, it might as well be me. But when I got over here to the side for a minute, I was sweating physically sweating i see that scrunched up nose it's okay i wore deodorant Nelly's all give me the gross symbol over there all right but but i started thinking about that for a minute i was like man some of these instances remember as a kid i don't remember every detail to those services where the holy spirit was only moving and people were receiving the gift of the holy spirit i remember being sweaty i remember being hot in those places i'm like maybe they didn't have air conditioning maybe maybe i was in churches no you know what it was? Is worship and everything everybody was going for God was so active, literally physically active, that even the temperature in the room would get uncomfortable. I mean, there was, there was always throughout my life when I saw the move of God, I'm not talking about just if you're clapping your hands, you're more spiritual than other. I'm talking about if you are not so proud that you can actually do things that normally you think make, look, make you look like a fool in order to praise your Lord. Some of it's just a matter of surrender. That's all I'm trying to get through to you. It's not that, to me, it makes me feel better because our whole church was clapping today. You're not going to, if you ever, on Facebook, you're not going to see me get on there this afternoon and be like, oh, good service today. Everybody was clapping. I grew up with that. Oh, good service. Everybody was amening and waving their hankies. You're not going to get that from me. Good service because somebody was shouting in the back. Tambourine was going full blast. Somebody gave Sister So-and-So with a tambourine a little... A little bit of something today because she was on it. No, because it's not about just showing something to, to make ourselves look good. Those are all things to draw to. Hey, look what we've done. What I'm trying to get through to you is when I look back, I'm going to have a little heart-to-heart with you for a minute. I love you. Some of you just met a short time. You've been coming a short time. I love you because of what God's done in me, and I can't help but love you. Let me tell you something, though. Where it gets real is, I won't always love you the way you think I should love you. Guys, that may seem a little weird and us talk like this, but I love you. I do. It's something that just grows my heart more and more all the time. Sometimes I've had to bring discipline into, the, into situations where that's love too. Just like I discipline my children, I've had to bring discipline because I saw it could be destructive to a believer. 
if they continue on path. But I love you. I have no other desire in our services. I have no desire to do anything that benefits me. I don't. Because I can walk out this door, resign today, and go make some money to provide for my family and do stuff that doesn't require me to always be looking at my own self under the microscope 24-7 and, and laying awake at night wondering, am I really true and doing, doing all my best, God? Am I really leading? Am I messing anybody up, God? I, there's a lot of careers I could choose that would be much easier on me. But I cannot stand to be here and us never discover what freedom comes when you finally get over the fact of whether you're going to look silly or not or whether it's you or not. And you're like, look, my life may seem okay, but if you're telling me there's something far better than what I've got, and it takes me doing something as simple as clapping just to get over myself long enough that the Holy Spirit can do work in me, then, then I'll get up in front of you and be a uh, pastor cheerleader if I have to. Some of those things that we do, it's not that God would love us any less if we don't clap our hands. It's not that he would love us any less or think less of us if we stand there like this. But it's to do with us and what happens in our hearts when we finally release ourselves to get out of our comfort zone and worship him outwardly. I can show you through Scripture where he expected us to worship him outwardly. All through Psalms, sing with songs and hymns, spiritual songs, and there was clapping and there was dancing. And I'm not a very good dancer, but there's sometimes I just want to do something. I don't know. But there must have been something in regards to the Holy Spirit coming on them, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. There's something that showed the unbelievers something is different here. And when I was in those services getting sweaty because sister so-and-so's jumping around and clapping her hands and getting crazy in worship, you know, people walked in from the outside and their life's a wreck and all, and they're like, oh, that's weird. But if they were just doing those actions to just have some fun, then that's what they'd walk out with. But time and time again, I saw where people walk in, and by the end of the service, they're hitting their knees, saying, my life's a wreck. Whatever you've got, you seem like you don't have a care in the world. And part of this in our worship services, we need a breakthrough because it's part of the joy of the Lord working within us. And some of your joy is stagnant and stale and about to leave because you aren't finding ways to rejoice in the Lord. You're not concentrating on what do I have to look forward to? What has God got for me? You're not looking towards the positive things of the kingdom of God. You're focused on how much longer am I going to have to deal with this mess, God, before you take me out of here? 1 Corinthians 14, prophecy in tongues. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a, in t- a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. Pay attention to this part, please, everybody. Not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. I want you to note this because there's also a continuing argument in the court case against speaking tongues that says, and I even saw an article on Facebook not long ago about this where people, and it's because they don't understand scripture, because this isn't something that I could take someone who doesn't believe that tongues exist for today and I could show them they would end up agreeing with me that it's not always a language you can understand. In Scripture, there's examples two times of tongues. There's two different uh, applications of tongues. And one is an unknown language where man is not going to know it only through an interpretation. We'll go into that next week about interpretation, difference between translation and interpretation. But it's because someone through the Spirit is able to interpret. But in the Acts account, when it was for unbelievers, they were speaking in a language that those could understand out there so there's two different two different things here but again it says for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to god for no one understands him there's an application where we see tongues as a gift being used in the church for the education of the body and when they speak in the tongues no one can understand it only when there's an interpretation through the holy spirit that's not someone hearing a known language that can interpret it because of man's knowledge of language you get what i'm saying it's not because you had someone in there, God arranged it miraculously, that we just happened to have someone who spoke Mandarin Chinese at the same time that the Holy Spirit gave someone a message in Mandarin Chinese in the service. 
But in the book of Acts, it was because the unbelievers who were coming from different nations, different nationalities, different tongues, were able to hear their own language. And it was a sign to the unbeliever. One of, on the other hand, uh, the one who prophesies going on in verse 3 speaks to people for their building un, up an encouragement and uh, for consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. In verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so the church may be built up. Skipping down verse 12, the motivation of this here. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excellent, excel in building up the church. So our motivation is because our church needs to grow. Our church needs to, to produce more believers. Our church needs to disciple more effectively. There are things our church needs. And so when we seek these gifts, it is for that purpose. Some will seek this gift. Some will try to manipulate and try to mimic and try to act like they have that gift. It's happened in church because they want edification of themselves. They want themselves to be built up. You're going to have to accept that. Okay? Simon the sorcerer, it's, a, it's our first example of that. Okay? It's going to happen. Don't turn off your willingness to accept the things of God just because someone goes out there and fakes it. If that was the case, church would have died a long time ago. If we just simply turned and walked away every time someone in the church did something in the flesh without God's power, trying to bring glory to themselves, it would have been done. There's some TV preachers that would have ended that a long time ago. The whole world would have seen it publicly and just said, nah, church is no good for me. And some did. All right, so if we skip down to verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all, notice and all, speak in tongues, the outsider or the unbelievers that enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So, Get this, all right? God is so smart. I mean, he infinite wisdom. So he knows us well enough to know. Brother Ken over here has a, a message in tongues, right? And someone interprets. And the next guy is like, Woo, that was powerful. I want some of that. And I'm not talking about faking here. I see God and they're truly desiring and they get it. So that, the next Sunday, Ken and this other brother, they there it goes. The next Sunday, and it grows. Next thing you know, people walk into church and there's nothing but speaking in tongues. They're walking in like, I didn't understand a word they're saying. They do that now when I'm speaking in English. Imagine that with a heavenly language, everyone. We're, what we're getting into is in the New Testament, when the New Testament was founded and started, is that the Apostle Paul and others were trying to head off all the things that they could see coming. Jesus knew that the church is not going to be perfect. And we're going to take a good thing, and eventually some are going to try to change it to something else, right? Or we're going to take advantage, or we just, in our own immaturity as believers, we're just going to do it wrong. What he's saying is now the instructions come, and it goes on that, you know, there's only supposed to be a few. But what it's not saying is only a few are to receive that gift. Just because it's trying to bring, just because the scripture is trying to bring some order into the service, is not then changing everything we just read and everything just in previous saying that I want all of you to speak in tongues. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words. Uh, it's not negating the fact that this is for everyone. It's just saying that we've got to have some order to this. People will take and, and, and do things wrong, and we've got to have some order. Verse 39, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Who would have known that the, the church getting excited, clapping hands, us feeling free, that we still all have to be in order? This is just common sense stuff that, that is really God concepts that you go into your business or whatever, 
and we're going to have a food day, and we're going to have some clapping and say the Walmart cheer, and then there's a time when it says, eh, everybody back to your desk. Okay, that, that time's over. There's, there's reason for order. Because we are a team, God has created an army, we are uh, structured as such, God has given different people to operate in different gifts, yes, so that we have a full, healthy, working church. Uh, tongues is one of those gifts, and it's, been, it's supposed to be used for the edification of the church. It's the opportunity for God to speak directly to his church in an audible way. Now hear me out. When I preach the word, I'm preaching what God has already said. We, we can stand on that. We know it. It's in his word, right? And anytime someone gives a message in tongues, it better not contradict with scripture because we know it's not of God. But in the same instance, many times in tongues, you'll hear scripture in it sometimes. You'll hear other things, but it's a, an admonishment. It's something to build up the church, but it's God speaking directly to us in an audible way. How many times do you want to, how many times have you said in your prayer time, God, if I could just hear you say audibly, do this. I, I need your direction, God. Can you just audibly talk to me? Do you understand that that's where this gift is needed in the church? I have sat in a church service. It's happened to me so many times where I had something so specific nobody could have known about. I had it hit in my heart, and it wasn't a fortune cookie type of interpretation. I mean, I've been in times where it was like I was saying something in my head, and the person answered it in the interpretation. And I'll tell you, one of those times, I was in a service, and this is exactly what happened to me. I'm praying, and I'm saying this thing, and I'm not really focused too much on the, uh, you know, someone's giving message in tongues. And all of a sudden, the interpretation stops, starts, and I'm actually focused on my own little conversation with God. And as I say something in my head, I hear the answer directly. Boom. And I just... Because the power of God had just stepped in and it wasn't some brother coming saying I have a word from the Lord for you which is awesome it wasn't someone giving me a word of wisdom which is awesome it wasn't someone just using scripture to help guide me as as they disciple me it was God himself becoming through a, a person being a mouthpiece speaking through that person audibly where I could hear a heavenly language and then bam in my own language I heard the interpretation and it was to me and listen I've heard those ones where my people, and I'm not mocking here, but I've heard this, my people turn from your sin, and this and that, and it would fit everybody. And that's fine. And I'm not saying I was the only one that day that that message was directly to. I, I imagine there was multiple people having the same conversation I was. And that probably brought on God saying, I'm going to answer directly, because this seems to be something going on in my church. So you understand that this is an awesome gift because it gives us an opportunity that when it's truly the Holy Spirit, we are hearing audibly, directly from God. I'm not saying that their voice becomes God's voice. All of a sudden it's CJ, I am God. I mean, that would be a little freaky, you know, if their voice changed. But there's instances also where no interpretation is needed because it's our prayer language. We're, we're praying, we begin speaking tongues, there's no church there. It's in my private prayer closet. It's at work on my break, it's whatever, and I'm praying, and I begin to pray in tongues, and those are times when, when the Holy Spirit, our spirit may be troubled. We may be working through something with God where we can't any longer, we don't have the strength or we don't have the understanding to continue beating down this path on, God, what do I do here? And all of a sudden we have a release and we begin to pray in tongues. And I have walked away from those times saying, I still don't know exactly what the direction is, but I have a peace in my heart and I feel empowered that the right thing will be done. And I can trust the Lord for that. So now, you as a jury, we have all the facts. And before you make your final decision on this whole thing of tongues as the initial physical evidence, I want you to push a little further into this gift. 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to look at verse 22. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Paul is still referring to tongues unto God, not the gift of tongues that requires an interpretation. He's going back to the Acts account. And many people confuse this verse with the gift of tongues, but it's not. Paul's still thinking back to, to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2 for the purpose as a sign or wonder to the unbelievers. Acts 2. Now when they, this, this was uh, heard abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in their own language. And we went through that. 
Um, this was not the gift of tongues, but tongues of praise unto God. They said, what does this mean? They, they were trying to understand as unbelievers. What, they got it. They heard the message in their own language, but they're still trying to understand, what does this mean? Why are these people speaking my language? And what did some of them say? They must be drunk. Some of them said that. So an unbeliever still has a choice to make. Just because there's a, uh, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and tongues are heard, it's not going to mean they're automatically going to have a relationship with Christ, but it's at least to, to show them that the power of God exists. We look again at verse 22. Thus tongues are a sign not for the believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. And then verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? It's, it's going back to, it's basically differentiating. It's telling us, you see, you understand that this was for a reason because it was to show the unbelievers that God exists and he's speaking through his people and they heard it in a miraculous way. But yet, in the church, we're not supposed to all be just in here speaking in tongues because God knew that we might try to put so much emphasis on that gift that we let it control the service to the point that we're all, and, and it's not talking about some not hearing from the Holy Spirit. Basically saying all of us can be receiving that message of tongues. Well, what it will go on to say in another passage is about sometimes we just need to remain silent and let that prayer be between us and God. So what he is saying is that tongues, not the gift of tongues, is not for everyone to participate in at the same time when they come to church. It's a prayer language unto God that edifies a personal believer. It is for the unbeliever, uh, and second is that for the unbeliever, should they hear these utterances as in Acts 2 to persuade them of God's moving in a supernatural way. Uh, if we went to 1 Corinthians 12, 29, are all apostles, are all pre- uh, prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer here is not written, but it's implied no. The implication is no, not all. Not everyone is an apostle or prophet or teacher and so on. Not everyone has the gift of healing. Not everyone speaks in tongues. Not everyone interprets. There's a gifting opposed to that baptism, that initial physical evidence of baptism. You see, those who do not believe that tongues is the initial sign of evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, use this scripture to refute to us that, that they say, see, even Paul said, not everyone would speak in tongues. But we must understand the distinction, the difference between tongues and the gift of tongues. The passage was definitely referring to the gift of tongues. Specifically because immediately following this, he said, do all interpret. Not all of these that Paul mentioned were listed under the gifts of the Spirit. So no, in reference to this scripture, not everyone will have the gift of tongues, but everyone who is filled with the Spirit will speak in tongues because it is the initial sign or evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not the initial evidence that the Holy Spirit's living in you because that happens at salvation. He lives in you. But the work of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the distinction, the difference in language that's given, that there is a separate work the Holy Spirit wants to give in you to empower you to make you bold in preaching God's word, to give you that boldness. And to simplify, we're saying we're all meant to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking tongues. But if we all came in every Sunday and everyone operated in the gift continually, there would be, be so much misunderstanding for the unbeliever. The second reason, verse 22, cannot be referring to the gift of tongues is that, again, Paul stated Thus tongues are, not, tongues are a sign, not for the believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. And then we jump down to verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn. Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. This verse is referring to the gift of tongues and is used for the edifying of the body of Christ. We went back to verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excellence in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. And why again? For the edifying of the church. 
Back to verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets. Unless someone interprets. Okay, so now, I know what some may be thinking, but pastor, I've heard tongues and the interpretation and has come um, and it's been directed towards sinners. Right. Are all who go to church Christians? No. Therefore, is God limited to using the gift of tongues only to Christians? No. I didn't say that non-Christians would have a gift of tongues, but I said it's not just for the Christians. After all, it's for the edifying the church. And hopefully we always, even in the New Testament, had the unbelievers coming into the church to hear the word of God. It was always about drawing the unbelievers. And that's part of edifying the church. There's one thing that will light this church on fire, and that's to start seeing people regularly saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. When we see that happening on a regular basis, it ignites the church. There's been times in our recent history where we were having people saved. One service seemed like after next. I remember every year I have to report to the Assembly of God headquarters about how many salvations, how many baptized, how many actually stayed and we discipled. And, and so I see right there in front of me, here's, here's what the fruit of our church is. And I remember one year reporting 17 salvations. That was awesome. Because at the time, our church size, that was a good percentage for what they're saying is happening in the United States. We were, we are, we're a healthy church. Edification itself means the act of building, building up, uh, second part of the definition, the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, holiness. So do you think a sinner who gets saved promotes happiness within us? Sure it does. Have you heard me say that if there's one thing I don't want to see anyone ever miss in here as far as an event the church has is a baptism in water? Because the whole purpose is for that person to do to outwardly express their faith to the body. Therefore, if a message in tongues comes forth and an interpretation is directed towards a sinner, don't judge it to be not of God simply because uh, of what we saw in Scripture earlier because we know that the church, that term church, is, is used for what Jesus set up as an institution for people to come to know him. And so there was intended and implied that unbelievers would be coming to the church. So it is edifying for the body of Christ. And quickly in wrapping up, I want to just cover a couple more things. Verse 27, if any man speaks an unknown language, any unknown tongue, let it be by two or at three at the most. And it goes on. And again, it's, it's covering here's how we should operate in that gift in the service. So when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues, it's not uncontrollable. You may not control the words. So as I'm speaking to you, I have had to prepare and think about what I'm going to say for Sunday to be able to process in time, to be able to not, and I work on it all the time, trying to be more off my notes and have it in me so I can deliver it from my heart, not from a page. But when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, it's not that you couldn't ever stop and say, Okay, I'm not doing that right now. There's been times I felt like I should, and I've kind of suppressed that, and I felt bad I did. But, but when it's talking about that order, you have the ability to stop. It's, not that, it's just that you don't control those words. You didn't have pre-thought to be able to say those things. It's a heavenly language. It's coming directly from the Lord. And so that interpretation has come because you don't know what you just said unless you're given the interpretation. You've just said things out of your mouth. You have no idea what you just said. 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Um, 1 Corinthians 14.32, And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And the purpose to, for coming to church is to learn more about God, and how can you learn if you don't understand, if it's not uh, made understandable. And again, it's not the church setting for everyone to come in and speak in tongues, but we are instructed for some to do this. And who are the some? Well, since we are all to receive it, then it can be any three of us at any given service. We're not assigning anybody. But some may operate in that gift more regularly. And it's for the purpose that we can worship him at our, our best. 
live for him at our best, witness for him at our best, and work for him at our best. Next week, as I said, we'll, we'll cover uh, the interpretation and understand the difference between translation and interpretation and get a little more in depth in that. But if this is all head knowledge and not heart action, then we've just learned something interesting about the Bible that maybe we knew or didn't know before. But the purpose of this, the reason I feel that the Lord is having to spend time on this is because there's other preaching that needs to happen in this year. There's a whole bunch about finances. There's a whole bunch about raising your family. There's a whole bunch about a lot of other topics. But in the end, our great commission is to go out and make disciples. And from what I see in the Acts account, what I see on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that this is an integral part and very important for the church in bringing the unsaved believers in and building up the church. We can't ignore it. We can't brush it to the side and say it doesn't matter. It do, as Paul said himself, it's not that this should be the most important thing. We need prophecy more than we need that. But if there's interpretation of it, we all understand, then it's just as good as prophecy is what he's saying. But there are many things the church needs. And we want to see us grow and, and people begin to operate in those gifts. And as I look around here today, could I just say, oh, that's a person. Oh, Frankie's going to be the one to give the, the first tongues and interpretation. Or, or David or someone. No, because I'm not the Holy Spirit. All I have been commissioned by the Lord for these messages is to, to deal with our surrender to his gifts. Our hunger to see him operate. What I'm dealing with today is for us to move out of our comfort zone and finally be willing to say, I'm not going to worry about what makes me look like a fool because if it's from God, then the only people thinking I'm a fool are the ones who need me. The only ones who think this is foolish are the ones who just don't understand and haven't received yet. But I, for myself, don't want to leave another church service or another time in my private time with God. I don't want to leave another time without reaching my full potential in Him. What do you have for me, God? What can you, what can you give me, Lord, today that will better uh, build your kingdom, that will edify the body, that will build the church, that will bring the lost in? That will expand that little cloud that says new song. So we'll have a few more people doing this. In all seriousness, this is vital to the church, folks. It tells me, seeing that article, that one of the largest Baptist conventions have begun to recognize that we don't want to exclude this gifting from our fellowship. It tells me that we are in the end times when God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. When I've heard stories of Catholic churches where they're meeting in the basement and getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and I didn't think that would happen. If that's happening, then we who have said by our denomination, by coming together, those of you who come part of New Song, probably some of God, and as that fellowship, I just got back from a council of all the Arkansas pastors, and that's the one thing we said is, if we don't free our people, if we don't teach and admonish them to let these gifts operate, then what's going to happen with the next generation? What's going to happen in these end times? What's going to happen when the persecution comes? And here's where the road meets the road. Your children and your children's children, do you want them hiding in a cave, waiting till the end, or do you want them standing proudly, proclaiming the gospel, even up to their lives taken? That's a tough thing to think about, isn't it? In the carnal, in the flesh, the parent says, I want them hiding in a cave with lots of guns. But that would be temporal thinking. That would be thinking about that everything they have to live for is here on this earth. That would be wanting them to focus on things that will perish. I want my children to receive the largest reward in heaven that they possibly can. And so I want to teach them to stand with a, not pride in yourself, but pride in the kingdom of God. Seek his gifts. Let him empower you. Let him do it. Not your daddy. Not, not follow your daddy's example all the time because I fail so many times. But, but from scripture, from God's word, let his spirit light you up. Let him put such power in you that you'll stand in any circumstance. And we're going to find out one of these days in the Church of America, in the American churches, whether it was lip service or it was in there. If God transplanted your job to one of these other countries where people are being beheaded for it, You'd have to come to terms real quick whether this is really 
what you believe, whether you're willing to die for it or not. I don't want to wait till then. I want to know now. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you that you, Lord, that you command your disciples to wait for the Comforter, for the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be so hasty, Lord, in our our approach to your our walk with you, that, God, we, we get impatient or we give up on uh, receiving all that you have for us, Lord, every gift. And Lord, as I believe from your word that this baptism in your Holy Spirit, that it comes with an initial physical evidence, Lord, not, not for proof positive just for the church, but for the unbelievers. God, this may be difficult for some, but Lord, it's right there in your word, and I, I can't see us ever picking and choosing, Lord, what we're going to believe. If it's in your word. God, I pray for that boldness to come by the outpouring of your Holy Spirit on these people. Lord, whether it be now in the service, it be uh, on their journey home, in their prayer closet, Lord, while they're at work, wherever it be, Lord, I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on these people. Lord, that it would change lives, it would change direction, Lord, in their lives. That, God, we would no longer be hiding out, waiting for you to come. Lord, feeling bold when we simply have a conversation with someone, but, but beyond that, Lord, would we stand on the busiest street corner in our, in our city, Lord, and would we proclaim your word? Would we, Lord, in the, the face of changing laws who says that your church must accept sin or no longer exist, would we say, then, then put us in prison? What do we say in the face of a terrorist? I will not deny my Lord, even if you take my life. Because this is not my eternal life here. Lord, from your word, I see that the answer to all those, Lord, come from an endowment of power, Lord, that you can only give. Lord, that even your disciples after your crucifixion, Lord, were we're hiding in fear, God, and I, I see one answer, Lord, to us being as bold as we can possibly be, and that's from an infilling of your Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you want to pray for God's gifts, we're not going to pray just specifically about one gifting. You're just saying, I'm open to receiving God's gifts. And today, I just need to have a, someone pray for me. I don't want to leave before I, I seal that deal with the Lord and say, I'm, I'm ready. If you just want to come forward, I'll pray for you. We'll believe God to, to begin to open those gifts in your life.